Hi, New Philly Itaewon. It's so good to be here. Uh, I love Itaewon. Can I just say that? I love Itaewon. I love Hillside. I love Itaewon. Seaside, Sydney. I love Itaewon. Yeah. Well, my name is Sky Becker, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Philly, specifically serving at Itaewon campus and in the areas of healing and deliverance. So, beginning of this year, I wrote down five New Year's resolutions. And one of them was to have one solid exercise routine, which I haven't started yet. So, (laughs) if anyone wants to help me out, talk to me after service. (laughs) And um, another was to design and sell five t-shirts, because I have a huge heart to uh, make a t-shirt company of my own. And to see just art to be the influence in just a Korean country, this nation, that through arts that I will influence. And I got two shirts designed and sold. So it's coming along, right? <laughs> Halfway there or two-fifths of the way there. And, uh, and third one, very important one, was that God would raise me up as a preaching pastor. And that I would have an opportunity to preach five times this year. And I can tell you today that today's my fifth time I'm preaching, and it's only June. So who believes that God answers prayers? Amen? Amen. So be careful what you pray for, and uh, also uh, be confident that what you ask of Him, when it's aligned with God's heart, He's surely going to give it to you. He's surely going to answer your prayers. So today, the message I'm going to preach is very, very simple. And yet very powerful. And it's a simple revelation that I uh, got recently and that brought a powerful transformation in my own life. And I'm really excited to share this, not just the knowledge, but also the transformation part of it with you today. My prayer is that when, after this message, when you walk out of this room, that you're not only going to know this truth and uh, revelation in your mind, but you're going to walk out in this truth. And that truth is that, Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. It's funny because Pastor Marcus, when he was leading the time of corporate intercession, I thought he read my sermon because he was talking about how nothing is impossible in God. And when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, that God makes all things possible, right? So that means God really, really wants you to get this today. He, he put it on my heart. He put it on Pastor Marcus's heart. We didn't talk to each other. That means God really wants you to hear this out today. So I'm really excited. Uh, I, last time I preached, it was at Hillside. And I shared about how I used to have a crazy stage fright. Uh, so me being able to stand here and actually preach to you guys today is a testimony and a miracle in itself. Amen. So, you know, I used to be so scared of being in front of a crowd to a point when uh, my parents or my teachers would tell me to, like, perform something. In front of a crowd, I would just start crying. I'd be like, like I would sing uh, You Better Not Cry That Song, crying, because I didn't want to be in front of a crowd, right? But I'm, I can honestly say that I'm excited today and joyful and to share and to preach about God's, God's greatness and goodness through my lips. It's just a great honor for me to be here. And... Um, do you guys know the song, uh, Nothing is Impossible? Yeah? Through you, I can do it. So, come on, come on, come on. Anything. 
I can do all things. It's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Good. <laughs> I sang this uh, better here than Hillside. Anyway, <laughs> that song's been on repeat as I was writing the sermon because that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's turn to Mark 8, today's passage. Comes from Mark 8, uh, verses 1 to 10. This is a very famous story of Jesus performing one of many of his miracles with his disciples, of feeding 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a small, few small fish. And as we read this passage, I want us to focus today on the role that the disciples were playing in the story. Because I feel like this passage is just a great example of how God wants to use us in the present time. And uh, how we are about to go, how we are to go about the things God calls us to do. So reading from ESV, let's, I'll read the odd verses and you can read the even verses. Mark 8, uh, 1 to 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. (laughs) Yeah, the D place, the place that starts with D, Dalmanutha, right? So back in the day when Jesus was going around uh, ministering to people, performing miracles, healing people, there used to be a crazy uh, amount of crowd that followed him around. So imagine in present day, say like a K-pop group appeared in in the middle of Gangnam. And imagine the whole city following them around everywhere they went. And this situation is like that times five or ten. So, um, and on this particular day, we are talking only about 4,000 people following them around. And if we were to bring this story to the present time, something we can relate to a little more, I'm going to take our recent church-wide retreat as an example. Who's been to the church-wide retreat? Woo! It's powerful, huh? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Imagine, say, 4,000 people signed up to that retreat, and they all got to the, uh, the retreat center. And for whatever reason, we had absolutely no food to feed them. And all we had was the 11 of our core leaders, we have 11 core leaders, had seven loaves of baguette. That's barely enough for just all of us to eat and just be satisfied. I mean, I wouldn't want to eat just baguette anyway, but if we were to eat something because we were so hungry, that would be just enough for just the core leaders, 
right? But in this case, at least we have jajangmyeon places around us, like, uh, you know, delivery food places or convenience stores. We can go try to gut out everything and feed 4,000 people. But it would at least take 40, 40 jajangmyeon places if we were to order 100 from each place. Because, you know, if you order 4,000 jajangmyeon from one place, they ain't going to be happy, right? <laughs> so, you know, we could pull some strings together and make something happen in modern-day society, but we're talking here about uh, a place where there was nothing. I want you to really get this situation, how much of a crazy situation it is right now. And going back to Jesus and his disciples, according to his disciples' words, there was no way for one to feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. But I want to point out in the beginning of the passage that... um, what it, what it was that even started this, uh, this act of miracle, it was that Jesus saw the people and I saw that they weren't fed for a mo- mo- couple days. And he's the one that called his disciples to come because he had the compassion on the crowd, crowd because they had been with him for three days now and have nothing to eat. Now, I want to point out right now uh, the reason why a lot of things that we're called to do is not impossible It's because Jesus was the one that called us to do it. So in this case, it was Jesus that that was determined to feed these people. You get it? When the disciples saw the crowd, I don't think they thought about, oh, you know, they're hungry, so let's feed them. It was Jesus who said, hey, I have compassion on these people. I want to feed 4,000 people, and I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, he called the disciples over because Jesus wanted to use them simply as vessels. And what was the disciples' response? Doubt. Worries. How can we feed these people? Right? I think a lot of times we get mistaken with our calling or our dreams. That we are the one that's seeking for God's help when God is the one that is using our help. We get that mixed up all the time. You know, God, I want to bless these hundreds of orphans. I need $10,000. I don't know how this is going to happen. I need you to help me. Right? And we start praying, going on about how we're trying to explain to God or persuade God why he needs to help out the orphans. That's, that's out of order, right? I'm using the orphan example because John Michael and I direct an orphanage ministry. But when in reality it is God who so loved these orphans, that he saw that he had compassion on them first, and he called us, like me and John Michael, to be his hands and feet. There, we cannot get this mixed up. And when we start thinking of it in, a, in the other way around, that God is the one that is helping us, that's when the doubt and lies of, oh, that's impossible, comes in. So here's my first point. Um, In order for us to really know that nothing is impossible, we need the right understanding of God's identity and our identity. Okay? God's identity and our identity. So what's God's identity that I want us to get today? That he is the boss. He is the boss, not us. Have you seen a worker at a huge company like, say, Apple? One of the the salesmen go go up to Steve Jobs when he was alive. And say, boss, this cannot be done. Have you seen any worker do that to a boss? No. Well, even if you did, guess what? The boss 
doesn't really care whether, whether um, we say that it can be done or not. Because when he has it determined to carry out a mission, he's going to be the one to complete the mission. Whether through a person that was coming with a doubt or to some, through somebody else, he is going to uh, carry it through regardless of how doubtful we feel. So going back to the message, that's what, uh, going back to the passage, that's what Jesus said. I mean, he did. He gathered all the disciples and he didn't ask them, hey, should we feed these 4,000 people? No. He told them, hey, I want to feed these people because I love them. And the, the disciples responded back saying, basically saying, no, it's impossible. How can we feed them from this desolate place? That's what they said. But Jesus was not moved. He was not persuaded, but rather he asked a question back to the disciples. What did he ask? What did he ask? What do you got? What do you got in your hands? That's what he asked them. What do you have in your hands that I can bless so that it becomes possible? What is that talent that you have in your hand right now that I can bless so it becomes possible? What is that dream that you have in your hand that I can bless? What is that desire that you have in your hand that I can bless? Because these things are given by God in the first place. These desires and talents you, have, you guys have, it's given by the Lord in the first place. Church, whatever God is calling you to do, he's the one that called you to it. He's the great almighty God who placed us on this earth so we can do the very things he's commanding us to do. Not the other way around. Only reason he shouldn't answer your prayer, he wouldn't answer your prayer requests is if it's not, some, if it's not what he wants for you or if it's not the right timing. But we can be sure and have no room for doubt of any possibility because when God is the boss, he's going to make it happen. Turn to your neighbors and tell them lovingly, God is the boss, not you. <laughs> lovingly is the key. <laughs> Hebrews 12.2, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Genesis 1.1 says, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Out of all the amazing identities of God, today I want us to really get one identity of his name, Adonai. Who, who knows what that means, Adonai? <laughs> Adonai is a Hebrew word for the Lord. So which means God is the Lord and we are his servants. And the identity of God, that identity of God tells us that Lord is the only one who can empower us to fulfill his purpose for our lives. And he will surely give you the strength, faith, perseverance, and resources for you to do them. What about knowing our identity? What identity do we have to hold on to? Identities in Christ, I think all leaders should know, all 36 identities. But uh, which identity do we need to hold on to for us to know that nothing is impossible? I'll give you a hint. It's identity number 14. If you know this, you can be an H&D pastor. <laughs> but 
But it's an identity uh, that says, I am a branch of the true vine. John 15, 5. Which means, in other words, we abide in him and he abides in us. Because branches belong to a vine, right? A tree. And Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you seen branches that uh, bear fruit and survive when it's cut off from the tree? Have you ever seen? I think that's what we call impossible, right? This is a promise and a warning that Jesus gives us. um, That when we rely on him, he is surely going to be the source of all fruitfulness. But if we don't, we can do nothing. Mm. You know, this has been the most comforting thing I've ever heard in my life. That I can do nothing apart from Christ. Because according to this verse, John 15, Jesus and I are like one body. Can you imagine if you are one body with a superhero, how you would feel? You would feel like there's nothing impossible, huh? And have you seen a game where um, there's like a plastic rope pipe and you put like flour in it? And two people take the, each end of the, the pipe and you blow in it. And whoever has a bigger strength in their lungs gets to blow the powder on the other person's face. Have you ever seen that? Well, there's a game like that. I don't know why they play it, but there's a game like that. And I know it's a a little bit of a gross analogy, but I'm going to use it. Because um, the point of the game is that whoever has a bigger strength gets to blow whatever is inside of the pipe onto the other person's face. Right? (laughs) But imagine that you have a pipe a rubber pipe connected between you and Jesus of life, of joy, of peace, encouragement, power. And more and more you let go of your control, more and more of Jesus you get. Because he is the stronger force, right? And this is what the verse is saying, that I am the branch of the true vine, Jesus. And We get his spirit flown into us because we're connected. I don't know about you, but that is so comforting to me. You know, last five times or six times I preached, the most powerful times have been when I felt like I can't do it at all on my own strength. And I just had to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I can't preach unless I have you in me. So come and speak through my mouth. And those were the times where even I got blessed by my own message. I would be like, I'm saying it, and I'm like, this is good, because it's not from me. It's from the Lord. Church, I think we love the word impossible. And we don't say it out loud all the time because, you know, we have a culture of speaking life. If you don't speak life, you might get rebuked here in this house because we we speak life to each other. But sometimes, can you admit that we think it a lot, the word impossible? We love to think it in our heads. Man, that's impossible. No, I can't do that. No, I'm not capable of doing that. Let me tell you a little secret to that word impossible. I believe God made us impossible on purpose. Because when you take that word impossible and look closely at it, and do a little bit of spacing and apostrophing, and make it into an I am possible, that's cool, right? You have seen that in probably on Pinterest or you know, Instagram or something like that. 
But my version is more cool because I'm here to say that that I am is not talking about you. I am is another. Did you know that I am is one of the many names that God has? One of God's names is I am. In Exodus, when Moses was being called out to bring the Israelites out of the out of Egypt. Um, Moses freaks out and he's like, what do I tell the Israelites when they ask me who's, who I'm sent by and asks what his name is? And that's when, he got, when God reveals his name, I am. He says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That is another word for Yahweh. He is, he is Yahweh, which means he is, he is who he is. He is the Lord. He is God. He is the only God. And he's the beginning and the end. And there is no limit to God because God is God. That's what it means. So when you ever feel like, man, I'm impossible. In my dictionary, I love the word impossible. Just look at it closely and see that there is I am in it, which is the Lord who makes everything possible. And that brings, to my, uh, brings me to my second point. The reason why nothing is impossible is because we, have, we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit as our helper. We have the Holy Spirit as our helper. When we look at Mark 8, uh, we see how the disciples were walking with Jesus. He was, Jesus was physically there. He was their leader. Team leader, if you want to call him. Campus pastor, if you want to call him that. He was there to help them out. They rode the boat together. Like uh, Pastor Marcus said, they walked on water together. And they ate together. They did everything together. They were like this tight. <laughs> but imagine, and imagine in the modern time, say you're partnered up with somebody like Tony Stark from Iron Man. And you get to fly around in his suit. And you get to beat up all the bad guys and bring justice to this world. Wouldn't you think that nothing is impossible? Man, that's how these disciples felt back in the days when they were with Jesus. It's like when we go on a mission trip and sometimes something goes wrong at the altar when you're praying for people, but you know that you can be safe because you have the team preacher or team leader that will come and take care of this person, right? And Jesus had everything under control. Even when the disciples had no idea what to do to feed these 4,000 people, Jesus was there to lead them. Jesus said to them, bring to me whatever you have. And then they brought to him seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Then Jesus directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they also had a small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And all that the disciples had to do was set the bread before the crowd. Because Jesus anointed it already. When he blessed it, when he gave thanks to it, Jesus blessed it and anointed it already. Well, all we had to do was take it and step out in faith. You know, Jesus could have just easily blessed it and given it out himself. No, but he chose them, chose the disciples. And guys... God is choosing us and is giving us that and trusting that part of the, the, the miracle. He's wanting us to take what he has anointed and walk it out. 
And when the disciples stepped out in faith to obey Jesus' command to just give out the bread, that's when the miracle happened. That's when food multiplied. And remember that Jesus anoints it and just hands it over to you. Church, what has Jesus anointed in your life? What is there in your life that Jesus is telling you to just step out in faith and just do it? You know, you would say like, well, that's not fair because, you know, the disciples had Jesus with them right there, but we don't. That's true. You're right. We don't have Jesus here with us. But you know what? You have Jesus in you now in a different form. It's called Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Talking about Holy Spirit in John 16, 7. And John 14, 16 also says, And I will as the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because neither, it neither sees him or knows him. But if, if you know him, because he lives in you and will be in you. Church, we underestimate Holy Spirit too much sometimes. It's like Jesus' twin. Holy Spirit is Jesus' twin in a lighter form. You know? We, we have the same spirit that raised the dead inside of us. And we have the same spirit that, you know, let the blind see and lame walk inside of us. To open a business, to write a book, to release albums, to lead people to Christ. We think that it's so hard. We think that seeing a person, a blind person, be healed on mission trip is easier than us seeing Jesus carry our dreams. Can we agree? I think sometimes we blow up our dreams and passions much more than a physical healing of like a dead person being raised. This is where we need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. That's my last point. Point number three is we need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to do the things that seem impossible. You know, it's not just uh, being persuaded into it. It's not just speaking it over yourself over and over. It's the renewal of mind that we need for us to walk out that truth that God makes everything possible. There's nothing impossible in us. So I'm going to share with you my own experience and a testimony. I had a breakthrough in this area very recently. And that's why I can preach to you guys this message because I'm preaching to myself at the same time. And um, I want to share that. So one of my biggest uh, struggles until recently growing up was being confident in myself. Or anything that I do, I, I, I felt, I guess, uh, opposite of confident in the things I did. And part of it was because of my perfectionist side. I wanted things done right and things perfectly. But another part of it was because I grew up in an environment where I was constantly criticized by my family members or by my professors. Um, and, you know, when I was younger, I had a lot of my family members criticize me about my character or my personality. Like, you know, but now when I look back to them, it's not true. They're lies. But because of their own struggles and their own pain as well, they can speak things over you that is not true. And I grew up with identity identities like I'm selfish. I'm, 
uh, nothing, will, nothing good will come out of me. Uh, I'm lazy. I'm inconsiderate. All these lies. And sometimes I would even get scolded for things by my parents that I've done a while ago because of my immaturity. And then they would bring it up a later, like later back. Then it would eventually make me paranoid about my actions. So I became very sensitive to how other people feel, which is a strength. And I'm a, I'm a very like a peacemaker type of person. So it's a strength in one, one way. But when it's um, overly done, humbleness overdone is an insecurity. Humbleness overdone is insecurity, and that's not healthy. So I was very insecure, especially in the areas of art and uh, creativity, because I went to college and majored in architecture. I worked as a graphic designer after I graduated. And I think it began when I started uh, being in the architectural program in my school, because my family members didn't really support me doing it. One, because it's a kind of a more masculine type of career. And also, because of that, they didn't think I would make it. So I had that spoken over me. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And mind you, I did make it to one of the best architecture programs. Our school was ranked number one in the United States amongst public schools. And go tech, anybody? <laughs> oh, no, Hokies here. But anyway, the year we made our number one in our department, our department made like a, this uh, postcard with a huge one, number one on it. And so that we can give it to our friends and our family members. It looked like a huge Uno card. And it was a little more embarrassing than pride, like proud, proud of it. Like, here is my Uno card, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I'm telling you this because I want to explain how intense it was. Because it was a program that was pretty good, which made it very, very competitive. So I had, you know, like... Every year, like hundreds of people, hundreds of students who weren't in the major already, they will apply for the program. And out of those, they would pick about 60 applicants through an interview process. And I was one of them because I didn't go in with architecture as my major, so I had to apply for it. And then out of the 60, you go through this three months intense summer program where only a third of them or less can make it. And it's whoever gets A minus or above for both semesters of the summer. So you can only imagine how competitive it is, which I made it. Anyways, <laughs> come on, come on, support. All right. Thank you, thank you. But I'm here working for the Lord. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm not here to boast. I'm just trying to explain how much of a competitive environment it was. Because you are sitting here amongst, uh, you know, like uh, 60 other people that you have to prove that, one, you know, that you're one third of the group that should make it into the program. That you had to prove to other people that I'm better than these people's design. My, be my design is better than these people's design. So they called it critiques. We had a lot of presentation where we would post up our work you know, I don't know if you, we have a lot, a lot of artists in the house, but whether it's music or design, when you make something, when you create something, you kind of treat it like your baby. And it's kind of scary to put it out there for people to see, but when you put it up, only thing that comes is criticism. That's kind of the environment that I, I had to go through in college years. I think the biggest uh, compliment I got from my professor was when I was trying to, third year is the hardest year of the whole program, 
And uh, a lot of people try to change their majors to like pharmacy or biology or something like that. And I went up to my professor. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to switch my major. And that's when he told me one compliment. He said, hey, you're not, not good. So you should finish. <laughs> I'm like, what? What did he just say? Is it not, not good? So that means I am not bad, which means I am pretty good. You know, like I had to read into it. Why couldn't he just say, you're good, so don't quit? But that was the best compliment I got. But anyway, but uh, the reason why I'm saying this is like Pastor Aaron preached a few weeks ago about uh, power, to, power of encouragement and also the reverse effect of criticism. And I was molded in a way where I couldn't appreciate my talents. And I didn't think it was a big deal because I thought I was just being humble. Until I realized how much uh, it was slowing me down from carrying out God's will. In many areas of my life, especially with creative, creative anointing, I was quenching what Jesus has already blessed, him, blessed me with, with my own criticisms. So I was so used to being told, no, you can't do it. And I thought of more reasons of why I shouldn't be able to do it than why I should be able to do it. Until when it was this, until last uh, winter, I got this opportunity to dance with an amazing dance crew in the whole wide world. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, we performed once at the Christmas service, AIM service, and also at the retreat. Who's seen it, our dance performance? Yeah? Ooh, ooh, shout out. Um, so when Mary first added me to the group on Facebook, uh, she added me because I showed her a video of me dancing in college as a hobby. And that there was like a dance ministry that was actually led by a sister named Eunice Lee at Hillside. I don't know if you guys know her. But, you know, Mary just saw it and he added me to the group. And first, thing I, first time I saw it, the first thing I did was to think of a long list of reasons why I shouldn't do it. I said, no, 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 I'm not a professional. Mary's a professional. I'm not, why would I dance? I'm a pastor, you know. I had all these reasons of why I shouldn't do it. So when I told my husband about it, I kind of said it in passing. I was like, hey, they added me to this dance group thing for Christmas service, but I'm not going to do it. And my husband goes, why not? And I was like, yeah, why not? (laughs) He was like, well, you like dancing. You are creative. It's in you. Why don't you just do it? And I think it was one of the few times where I was encouraged to be myself and to pursue my creativity. So long story short, I did it. I ended up joining the dance team, and we had a lot of fun performing for Christmas service. And we had two weeks to practice for the whole thing at the Christmas service. If you haven't watched it, I encourage you to go watch it because it's awesome. Uh, But there was so much grace in that two weeks of intense practice. We would practice from uh, like 10 p.m. to midnight or 1 or sometimes 3. And, you know, we would do that like multiple times a week. And a lot of us have full-time jobs. But God really anointed that dance. And we so we had a successful first uh, performance. And then the second time the opportunity came was for the retreat. And this time we weren't at a rush. 
we had actually like a month or something to practice for it. And we actually had time to think about whether we can commit or not. Like it gave us the time to like contemplate whether, yeah, should I do this or not? Whereas the other time, we didn't have time to do that. We just had to go, 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 do it. So this time around when we had more practice, when we had more, th- more time to think about why we're doing what we're doing, dancing, there was more room for doubts more room to think negatively and more room to say, man, can I really do this? Can I, should I just, you know, let other people do this? Especially there's, a, there's times during the practice where the three leaders that we have, uh, Mary, Thomas, and Danny, they would kind of divide us into smaller groups out of like 16 or 17 and two, three people would perform in front of the whole crowd. And you know, it's just a checkup slash to see, like, if you got the moves down or whatnot. And I would find myself frozen up. Like, I would freeze up in front of people because it's not because I didn't practice. I did practice at home because I'm a perfectionist. I don't like looking like I'm not put together. So I practiced at home, but when I'm put in front of people, I would freeze up. And I realized that when our minds are clogged up with doubts, with lies, with negativity, your, your body also manifests those thoughts. And I could not dance. And when I would catch myself doing that, I would just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to renew my mind in these areas where I was feeling doubtful. Like, oh, I look funny when I dance. It's a lie. I look good when I dance. <laughs> you know, these lies, when the Holy Spirit came and renewed my mind, I danced fine. It was fun. It was a lot of joy. It was a lot of excitement. And we, the whole team finished it. And we did, I, I think we did a great, awesome job. Everybody on the team did an amazing job. You know, oftentimes it's the same way when we do a lot of things in our lives. You know, we think the baggage or any, well, something that stops us from doing what we want to do, we think it's something physical. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have resources. I don't have this. I don't have that. But you know, I'm here to tell you, only thing that blocks you is the blockage in your mind. Only thing that keeps you from what you are supposed to be doing is what you have created in your mind. Or any lies that has come from the outside of the enemy. Maybe you can't do that. You know, you can't make it through. These things are the things that are keeping us from having our dreams and our desires being manifested in the, in the physical So we need our minds to be renewed. We need our minds to be renewed. Mm. So going back to the disciples, if the disciples had absolutely no faith in Jesus when Jesus gave them the bread after he anointed it, I don't think some of them would have given out the bread. What if I give them out this bread and it runs out in the middle and that sister doesn't get to eat, you know? I think it's because they had, whether it was tiny or big, they had faith in Jesus that Jesus could make it happen. That's why they stepped out in faith. And in Matthew 17, 20, it says, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. We need it. 
It's not a persuasion. It's not studying into it. It's not being uh, uh, earthly knowledge that's going to do it. But it's the Holy Spirit. You know how I told you that I had a struggle with my lack of confidence. And I was contending just, you know, I'm just tired of it. Like, why do I have to worry so much when God says, no, the opposite of what I'm feeling. No, you're fully equipped. You're fully capable. You're fully, I made you in my image. You're made in my image. Are you saying that I'm not good enough? Basically, that's what we're saying, right? Because we are made, if we're made in Christ's image and we say we're not capable, we're basically saying Jesus is not capable. So before I went to the retreat, I was contending for two things. I said, God, I want my intimacy to be deepened, go to a deeper level with you, especially in the area of prayer. I wanted my prayer life to grow. And the second place, uh, second area I was praying into was that I would get new set of eyes to see myself. I got this from actually my small group member. And I'm like, yeah, I take that. I want that too. And I contended for it. But little did I know, on the third night of the retreat, Stephen Bochamp, he was one of the main speakers. He was determined to pray for all 300-something people that night. So he was going around praying for everybody, laying hands on every single person and praying for them. And I was just standing kind of nearby him because I was trying to catch or I was trying to put blanket over sisters, you know, and things like that. And... I felt this side stare from Stephen Bochamp looking at me as I was like this. I looked at him, and I saw him looking at me like this. And uh, I kind of gave him a big smile, and I, like kind of saying like, oh, it's okay, you don't, have, you don't have to pray for me, kind of smile. But he comes, and he puts his hand over my head, and I just went straight into receiving position. I was like, okay. So he, he just put his hand over my head, and he just paused. And he didn't even say a prayer. He said two words. He came and he said, confidence, deeper. Two words. He didn't say this elongated prayer. He didn't, you know, make me fall or he didn't make me cry like a baby. He just said deeper, confidence. He left. He walked away. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I, I take that. You know what, though? I can say that maybe that was the most dramatic moment during the retreat for me. That and dancing like crazy on stage. That was pretty dramatic for me. But, you know, ever since then, I feel, I felt that supernatural confidence. I knew that the moment he prayed over me confidence and deeper, that my insecurities were all broken off and I was established in the place of confidence. I knew that in my spirit. I just knew it. And the, so the moment I walked out of that retreat, I was walking in that confidence. No joke. I mean, there's like evidences of incidences where I would check myself and normally I would beat myself for, for it. Like, hey, why did I say that to that sister? Like, why did I do that? You know, like I could have been done this and that. No, because I was filled with his peace and filled with his joy, filled with his confidence. And more than anything, I was filled with the confidence in his grace in his grace when we're covered by his grace guys that's where the confidence comes from it's not because we're the greatest people on earth yes we are the greatest people on earth because god is in us i want us to really take this and run with it you know our church our uh 
theme for this year is year of inspiration. And I know many of us want to step out in faith in whatever God is calling us to do. For me, it was the t-shirt designs. And I just had to do it. I actually had only two weeks before the conference, well, not two weeks, like three days before a conference we had to participate in for us to have like a whole bunch of banners, a whole bunch of t-shirts and uh, media stuff. And I just had to, I didn't have time to think about it, just did it. And it's kind of created this momentum where, oh, I can't, for another, I can't wait for another. I can't wait for the next one. And that's like what it keeps you going. And sometimes I think we think too much. So I want us to really have this time uh, of prayer. If I could invite up Lydia.